Unless you've been hiding under a rock for the past year, you'll have heard of generative AI, even if only the most popular implementation at the moment, ChatGPT. Now, people are getting themselves and their companies into real trouble because they don't actually understand what it is that they're playing with. There was a CNN article just a few days ago highlighting a lawyer that needed to apologize to the court because four of the five cases he presented in support of his client were in fact completely fabricated. He had used ChatGPT to do some research and got some extremely plausible but completely fictional responses, which he had then used in his work. Is that happening to you or your company now? Are you sure? Now, I've read articles claiming that generative AI is everything from the second coming of the Lord to the most insidious work of the devil himself, a new reality that will end civilization as we know it. But what's the truth here? What can it actually do? What can't it do? What should and shouldn't we do with it? And what the heck is a stochastic parrot? Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Technology Sounding Board. I'm your host, Michael R. Gilbert, and in this episode, we're going to talk about generative AI and specifically ChatGPT. We're going to cover what it's able to do and where this may be of real benefit to enterprises today. And we're going to explain a model that may help you understand what it's really doing. And so hopefully you'll be able to see where it's a help and where it could be a real danger. Okay, so let's start at the top. What is generative AI? Well, as the name suggests, It's the use of AI technologies to generate content, to create, if you will. We'll explore whether or not it's really creating in the sense that we humans would when we get to our parrot discussion. But for now, we'll take it as read that it is. So what can it create? Well, pretty much anything that can be created. Today, there are applications in the space of pictures, photos, paintings, etc. OpenAI, the company that brought us ChatGPT, also created DALI, which creates images based on the idea you give it. Paint me a tree growing upside down in a refrigerator on Mars, perhaps. In fact, the parrot picture I used as the thumbnail for this episode was generated by Dali. There are applications in the space of video. There are certainly applications now that can create new music, even with vocals to them being sung by virtual people who never existed, or in the style of real people you already know. Google has a good example of this today. Now, for this conversation, we're going to focus on text-based applications, simply because it's easier to imagine what's happening in this space. But everything we're going to talk about in the realm of text can translate just as easily to these others. So let's talk about ChatGPT. Breaking down the name for a minute, we see Chat tells you that it's essentially a chatbot designed for interactive conversations. And GPT tells you that it's based on a technology called GPT, Generative Pre-Trained Transformers. Generative, because it creates or generates its response rather than repeating something that's pre-scripted. Pre-trained, because, well, it is. It's learned how languages function and how to create new sentences through being trained on a vast corpus of real documents written by real people in the past. The transformer bit is just a reference to the latest and greatest generation of AI algorithms that it uses to track 
context, which we'll explain later. ChatGPT is just one specific application, and probably the most famous, or perhaps infamous at this time, but there are a multitude of others already, and more every day. Microsoft has recently introduced a version called Copilot, which is designed to help you generate new programming code, for example. They've also included this technology in their search engine, Bing, which helps you find research ideas faster. The amount of investment in this space is enormous, and it's growing daily. When people initially interact with ChatGPT, the first thing they often say is, well, how does it know that? They're immediately reacting as if they were talking to a sentient being, something that knows things. But they aren't. It's extraordinarily convincing. But it isn't sentient. You can ask ChatGPT things like, um, I don't know, how do I turn on capability X in application Y? And it'll come back with something like, select settings from the file menu, switch to the tab labeled whatever, hover over the button labeled thingy, and a menu will pop up, and you're looking for the third option down from the top. And obviously, the thingies and whatevers are specific to the application you asked about, but you, you get my point. And the thing is, it'll be right about it. You can ask it to write you a Pac-Man-style game in JavaScript, and it will spit out code that actually works. You can ask it to write you a short story about a taxman writing a wolverine in a style of Shakespeare, and it does. How does it do all this? Well, let's introduce our stochastic parrot and see if we can take all this magic and make it seem a little less frightening. Or slightly more frightening when you see the potential for problems, but we'll get to that. Okay, so I hear you saying... Michael, what the heck is a stochastic parrot? Well, we all know what a parrot is, right? It's a small green bird that sits on your shoulder and repeats phrases that it's heard in the past. Pieces of eight, pieces of eight, for example. And I'm assuming that you are a pirate from the 16th century in this example, obviously. Um, but you get the idea. The word stochastic here, uh, we're using to mean randomly in accordance to a certain probability distribution. And now don't worry if that doesn't make much sense to you yet. It's, it's going to, I promise. Uh, just stick with me. So imagine with me that you're talking to a parrot that will respond to whatever you say with a random set of words. If it truly was random in the sense that most of us think of, right? technically random drawn according to a uniform distribution, i.e. where absolutely every word is as likely to be picked as any other, you might ask it, what's the best way to get to the nearest McDonald's? And it might reply... Lieutenant Swimming Sirius Green. Not that helpful. So we're going to need to introduce three constraints that we want our parrot to use when deciding which words to respond with. And they are a language model, word distance, and context. Now, I'm going to explain each of these in turn with an example, but let's start with the idea of a language model. We're going to restrict ourselves to English here, but you can easily see how this translates to any other language whether a human-spoken language or a computer coding language or, frankly, a language used to describe musical notes. You see, every language has basic rules that it must follow. And we're all taught in school the idea of verbs, nouns and pronouns and stuff like that. And whether we paid attention to our English lessons or not, we eventually figure out that we can't just string these together in any particular order. We have to put them together a certain way, otherwise, well, it just doesn't make sense. So let's go back to our parrot and play a simpler game. We're going to give the, the parrot a prompt, a series of words, and ask the parrot to give us the next word in the series. And we can start with Jane through the something. Now, Jane is a noun, technically a pronoun, and it's naming the subject of the sentence. 
through with a verb, and it's telling us what the subject is doing. The is an article here, so what is the word type that must follow? Well, it's, it's likely to be a noun, the object that Jane is throwing. It could also be an adjective, like green or small, that describes the noun that Jane is throwing, but let's go with noun for now, to keep it simple. So, what is our parrot going to say? I'm pausing dramatically here, and if you like, you can imagine a drum roll while you listen to your parrot. And perhaps yours said, ball. So we'd have the sentence, Jane threw the ball. Great. But it could have picked any noun, right? And not every possible noun would make sense here. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to take a, a small diversion at this point to quote one of my favorite sentences from a great British comedian, Stephen Fry. In a sketch he was delivering underlying just how many different ideas you can express with the English language, he came up with this one. Hold the waiter's nose squarely, Susan, or friendly milk will countermand my trousers. Now, every word in that sentence is simple and common, and it obeys every grammatical rule in the language, and yet it's complete nonsense. So, a grammar-based model is necessary, but clearly isn't going to get us all the way. So, let's introduce the other two constraints that I talked about, word distance and context. Now, context, we've hinted at already. It's the idea behind what we're saying. So far in our example, we've got a subject called Jane who is throwing something, and we are likely inferring some information from this context. You see, we can't know everything about every possible Jane in the universe, and even if we did, we don't know which Jane is being referred to here. So we need to translate the word Jane into a conceptual Jane in order to decide what this particular Jane might be throwing. And that's where we're going to lean on word distance. And let me take another small detour to help clarify that. Let's assume for a minute we're reading a movie review and trying to get the sense of whether the reviewer thinks the movie was good or bad. If I use words like lame, dull, or boring, these words don't mean the same thing, but they're relatively close to bad. And, and I'm being deliberately vague and a bit hand-wavy when I talk about what close to means but I think we inherently understand the concept, yeah? And likewise, fun, exciting, and dramatic also don't share meanings, but they're close to good, or at least much closer to good than bad, right? Well, that's the basis of the technique we're using to encode the context for what we hear so far with our prompt. Word distance rather than the actual word. We kind of have to because there are trillions of possible word combinations, Brilliance, to quote a word from the Urban Dictionary, defined to mean a number so large that it's considered to be obscene. We can't hope to encode them all with any computer that exists today. So we have to try and encode a, a much smaller number of ideas and map the words in terms of distance from those ideas. All right, so let's go back to our trivial example and put this into practice with our parrot, and that might help to make sense of it. We look at the word Jane, and we can see that this has a relatively short word distance from human and female. Now, I, I can hear alarm bells going off already, but stick with me, I'm going to get to that, I promise. We can see now that when we're looking for a word to describe our object, the thing Jane is throwing, it should be something that a female human is likely to throw, and ball has a very close word distance to that idea, and hence ball is a good fit. Great, but our parent isn't just going to take the most likely answer that wouldn't be very stochastic of it. It's going to work out the probability frequency for all the words it could choose and choose the word or choose a word from the list according to that probability. And what do I mean by that? So 
Let's use a slightly different example for a minute. Suppose the prompts had been, he tossed a coin and it landed something. We can easily see that the vast majority of times the answer is going to be something like heads or tails. And let's say either of these answers is equally probable. We can also see that occasionally it might be a preposition, like on, in, down, or under. Think it landed under the table, or on Wednesday, or whatever. Now, let's say that 49% of the time the answer would be heads, and 49% of the time it would be tails, then all the other answers together would be equally probable somewhere in the, the last 2%. Now, if we were to give the parrot the same prompt again and again and again, let's say 100 times, we would expect that approximately 49 times it would say heads, 49 times it would say tails, and the other two times it would give us a preposition. And that's the idea of stochastic. If it has a non-zero probability of occurring, then it will occur. Just if it's improbable, then it won't occur very often. So, back to our parrot and Jane. Did any of your parrots say bulldozer? No? Why not? It's possible, right? So, if enough of you were asking, then eventually one of your parrots is going to. So then what? We have Jane through the bulldozer. Now what's the next word? Well, the context has changed, so the word distances have changed. There are three word distances that might be very different now. The relationship between the word Jane and what we recognize Jane as, right? The definition of through, and likewise, what we meant by bulldozer. Well, let me give you an example. We could continue the sentence with into gear, right? So that would be Jane through the bulldozer into gear. We've selected a different relationship with the verb through here. It's changing gear. Alternatively, we could have continued with, uh, and although it was only a small toy, it still hurt when it hit me. And we've redefined the meaning of bulldozer. It's no longer this gigantic piece of machinery. It's a small metal toy. Again, we could have continued with, Jack always thought Jane was a stupid name for a 30-foot-tall psychotic android, but there it was just the same. And in this case, we've redefined Jane. We picked a different point in our word distance encoding. Now that we better understand what our stochastic parrot is doing, there are a number of really important points to pick up on. First, generative AIs do exactly what they say on the tin. They generate new content. If it's possible, it's possible that it'll come up with it. Just because it does doesn't mean that it's real or could exist in the universe as we know it. They aren't telling you the truth any more than a human artist is. They're telling you one possible truth within a very wide possible set of worlds. The fact that they usually come up with something that people would usually say is simply a factor of, of probability and the distribution of ideas that it found in the material upon which it was trained. Now, if you don't know the material used to train it, then you don't know what it's capable of saying. Similarly, the word distances that it has encoded are those that it learned from the corpus upon which it was trained, and you can probably see the obvious bear trap waiting for you, right? For example, if I give you the word king and ask you for the closest pronoun, you are likely to respond with he, and you aren't going to get into much trouble with that. Likewise, queen maps closely to she. But what? What if I asked you for the pronoun closest to doctor or scientist? or homemaker. And very quickly we can see the problem. The bias that's actually in our own literature will be propagated into the parrot's responses, and that can get you into difficulty very quickly indeed. 
Now, to be fair, this is well understood by the makers of ChatGPT, and they've done a lot to counter these biases. But whereas these ones are very obvious, what about those you can't see so easily? What about biases of understanding, politics, religion? What about the simple case of common beliefs which are just plain wrong? All of these things are encoded from the trained corpus, and you can't see them. However, they will influence the answers your parrot gives. Now, one last warning before I sum up where we are, and that's around the nature of creation. Humans don't work this way. They don't start with a set of words and then try to find one that fits on the end. They tend to work top-down by establishing an idea that they want to convey and then searching for the words that best embody that idea. When doing so, they may borrow from other sources, but but they know there are limits to what can be borrowed before it starts to become just plain plagiarism. Even so, cases of copyright violation hit the courts all the time. Most recently, perhaps, Ed Sheeran's case being sued for allegedly copying Marvin Gaye's work, Let's Get It On, because it sounded too similar. Ed won this case, but many artists lose, and what too close means is just not well defined. If this occurs in cases where clearly the intention wasn't to copy based on closeness, how often will it occur when your algorithm, your parrot, is actually designed to do exactly this? What about if you have it create something in the style of someone else, or sing, or just talk with a voice similar to someone else? What if you have it create a picture that is in the style of a famous artist? Now, even if this isn't just plain creepy, how will you know what your parrot has created is unique unique enough in the eyes of the law. When you get hit with a lawsuit? How will you defend a copyright accusation when you don't even know what it learned from in the first place? This is an area of law that's going to need to be figured out, and quickly, if this isn't going to be a real mess that everyone gets caught in. So my takeaways here. Generative AI systems like ChatGPT don't know anything. They're designed to take a seed idea and then extend it by pulling related ideas into the response according to the probability that these ideas would have been connected in material upon which they were trained. If they can relate the different ideas, then they will. Just because a relationship between two ideas is tenuous at best does not mean they won't connect those ideas, just that this particular connection will occur very rarely. But it might occur on your watch. And that's part of what makes them creative in the first place. If they didn't, Everything they did would always look the same. Now, there's a real danger that they will reflect all sorts of biases that you are not aware of and not okay with. And copyright concerns may become a real thorn. Only time will tell how much so. Can you do anything to limit the risks and still benefit from the technology? Yes, I think so. Firstly, don't think of this as an intelligent entity that actually creates something unique out of nowhere. Treat it as a tool that can amplify human skill. It could, perhaps, be used to generate boilerplate text or first drafts that are then later edited by humans. This last layer, the human in the circuit, if you will, is a sanity check and a bias prevention mechanism. There might not be enough to skirt copyright infringements, though. You might want to lean into more technology, like the plagiarism tools that schools already use to help you out there. You could use it the other way around, too run copy that humans created through an AI layer and let it flag things that it thinks are questionable and offer edits where it thinks things could be different. Much less likelihood of running into copyright issues here. Just don't let it have the final say. As for is this a game-changing invention that will bring ruin to most human endeavors? 
yes to the first part and no to the second. It reminds me of another killer application that first appeared in 1979, if you can believe it. VisiCalc. For those who haven't been around quite that long, VisiCalc was the first ever spreadsheet program, and it was written for the Apple II home computer, before the PC was ever even invented. It was such a game-changer that almost from the day it was released, the Apple II started being bought by enterprises at a much higher rate than home users ever did. Indeed, you could say it was the spark that led IBM to develop the PC in the first place. It later spawned Lotus 123 and ultimately Microsoft Excel, without which most enterprises today just couldn't function. It completely automated and transformed the way we treated tabulated data. And the word at the time was that it would completely decimate the accounting industry. It would empower everyone to be their own analysts and remove the need for such expensive roles. Instead, it's become an incredibly powerful tool that every accountant and every analyst uses to do their job. Roles which have become more efficient, more effective, and more numerous than ever. Now, we haven't figured out what to do with generative AI yet. Our parrots are they're just babies learning to talk. But I don't believe it'll destroy or replace the creative roles in our world. I believe it'll become the equivalent of Excel for naturally creative types and help more and more of us add an element of creativity to what we do. Well, with all that said, I hope you've got a better insight into generative AI now and begin to understand what it does do, what it doesn't do, and where those boundaries are. In any case, I hope you've had fun with your stochastic parrot. As always, the transcript can be found on the website at thetechnologysoundingboard.com. And if you get a chance, stop by, leave us a review or a comment. Until next time.